Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Hey man, I'm going to continue on a little bit further from where I left off in 1 John, but I want to read the passage this prayer in Ephesians 3 real quickly. And again, uh, all you guys remember, I, you know, I, I speak always from the Amplified Bible. Ephesians has a few prayers that are Holy Ghost written, and this is one of them that I was taught to pray all those many, many years ago, but I'm just going to start kind of in the middle of it. Uh, remember, I always say this when I read the Pauline epistles or anything. Remember, Paul is the guy that was caught up into heaven. Whether in the body, out of the body, he knew not. But he heard things he said that were actually unlawful for man to utter. But he, again, is the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament upon which we base 80% of our theology. This guy had an incredible experience, you know, with Christ. Uh, Galatians says he was actually sat down by Jesus Christ and taught this stuff himself. And then he's sent back to earth to, to speak and to release the revelation of the new creation and what it meant to actually be people who have access and can be filled with to the full God's Holy Spirit. It's a mind-blowing concept from where they'd known life before in Christ. But anyhow, so Paul over and over and over again speaks about the love of God. But here he in particular, this prayer, Ephesians 3, start in verse 16. This is in the middle of Paul's prayer. Should be up there behind me in a moment. You don't have an amplified. Ephesians 3.16, Paul says, May he grant you out of the rich treasury of his glory to be strengthened and reinforced with mighty power in the inner man by the Holy Spirit himself indwelling your innermost being and your personality. Wouldn't it be wonderful to actually have the Holy Spirit absolutely flooding your own personality? Verse 17, May Christ through your faith actually dwell, settle down, abide. Make his permanent home in your hearts. And then he says this, may you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. I normally stop there and teach a whole lot about root systems and foundations. But he says, may you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. That, verse next verse, that you may have the power and be strong. He wants you to really apprehend this, to comprehend And be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of this love. And then he says, what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth of it? Now, you know, we could go to the next verse. It's incredibly important. But, okay, okay, but let me just say from verse 18, what I want you to see is Paul says the length, the height, the breadth, and the depth. Four dimensions. Again, remember that we grow up with basically two dimensions, and if we fly or something, you you begin to comprehend three dimensions. But Paul speaks about the love of God being a love that's very different than the love of man. The love of God is four-dimensional. In other words, there's something about what God has for you and for me that's outside the realm of our normal comprehension. And that's something, again, you've got to meditate on for years to really grasp, I mean, four dimensions. And then, of course, one of the most awesome promises in the whole book about the love of God. Paul goes on to say, let me read 18 and 19 together. Verse 18, that you may have the power. Remember just before in 17, I want you to be rooted deep in love. I want you to be founded, founded securely on love so that you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints 
God's devoted people, God's devoted people, the experience of that love, what is the breadth, the length, height, and the depth of it. Now watch what he says. That you may really come to know practically through experience for yourselves the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled. This is the part that's so heavy when you really think about it. There's Dr. Francis Littenauer, the lady linguist who helped to write the whole Amplified Bible. She did a really good job here. <clears throat> she said that you may be filled through all your being. If you've got it there, just look at that screen. Look what it says. That you may be filled un- through all your being unto all the fullness of God. <laughs> that you may have the richest measure of the divine presence. And become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. Now, right there is where somebody should say hallelujah. I mean, what a goal to realize. I mean, Paul's saying that you might be filled with the very richest level, the richest aspect of God's presence. Uh, yeah, that blows my mind. Become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. Now, if that's not a goal, I don't know what it is. But to me, that's incredible. So again, this is why all my days, I was even when I was praying this morning a little bit, because I sometimes feel hesitant to go back to some of this stuff because, you know, the first three or four years of the whole church, God wouldn't let me speak on anything but but the love of God and relationship. But, um, and I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go back to something old. But you know what? You can't get any more powerful or revelatory than the love of God because it's the key. It's like it's the cipher. It's a thing when you grasp it that causes you to walk through this Christian's experience and to really understand what it means to manifest God. I mean, everything, every gifting, everything that you can imagine that God says is available to you, the precedent that has to be comprehended, if it really is going to happen with any consistency, is us being able to really dedicate ourselves to being an example of the love to others that God has been to us, okay? But now let's go back to 1 John 3, you know, little John, 1 John 3, back in the back of the book. And I finished last week with verse 14. I'm just going to quote it for reference. It's an incredibly powerful truth there. 1 John 3, 14. John says, we know. Everybody say, we know. In other words, this is, we're going to know this. We know the way that we know that we passed over out of death into life is by the fact that we love the brethren. Your fellow Christians. And then he makes this incredible statement. And again, the Amplified does a good job here. He who does not love, abides, remains, is held and kept continually in its spiritual death. Now that is, an, again, that's, that's um, very, very vital to catch that. Because as I've told you many, many times in the Bible, the word death never means to cease to exist. It never means the cessation of life. Death always speaks of separation. And he talks about, in other words, that if you don't, if you don't catch this, said, people, if you do not love, you will be held continually in a place of separation from God. And he goes, he's going to go on in the fourth chapter, as we all know. He's going to wind up saying what? That God is love. That simple. But it's this thing about knowing there's only two kingdoms, the Bible teaches, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. This is just a short recap from last week. And and one step, the thing is, and this is where the grace of God is so important and why why the love of God is important is another thing, is because when you really have a revelation of God's love, when you miss it and you blow it, I know nobody in this church ever makes mistakes, but people in other churches, 
you know, when they miss it or blow it, you know, it, you learn to run to God. You never run from him. It's, and you see, you can't run. It's like a little child. If you can imagine a child, if you can imagine like Emmanuel with Eve, Emmanuel Isle, little Eve. I mean, when she makes a mistake, if she drops her milk or she breaks something, a little child, what's the first thing normally they do? They want to hide or run from mommy and daddy. But I mean, if you can picture this child being so aware that the only thing they're going to experience from my mother and my father is love. They'll still have correction, but correction from love. See, most correction needs to be direction when you're talking with children. But the point is, wouldn't it be wonderful if the first thing that entered into their spirit was, I know I can run to mommy and daddy and say, I just broke this. And somehow, someway, see, God wants that instituted in our human spirit where when we make a mistake, you know, because we all are flesh, we still make mistakes, but that we have something so tattooed, so carved into our heart, you know, like it says, these commandments, these truths are to be written upon the fleshly tablets of our hearts, that this stuff is so strong in us that we, again, we know we can run to God. Hallelujah. We know. But again, what a statement. He who does not love is held, is kept continually in a place of spiritual death. And that's like I said last week, this is why, you know, one step out of dark, one step out of light is a step into darkness. And you can, as I said last week, you can scream and yell and show on there, I'm a, I have rights, I'm born again, child of God, I have all this, I have authority in the name of Jesus. But when you hold on to the luxury of strife, unforgiveness, ill will, bitterness, all that stuff in your life, you are voluntarily, you have voluntarily stepped into the kingdom of darkness where Satan himself is the ruling agent there. So you can talk about your authority, talk about the name of Jesus, but as long as you hide that other stuff in your heart, Satan will just laugh. You can sound as Christian as you want to. You can get as bold as you want to with your prayer, but as long as you entertain that stuff, that junk in your heart, you can't, you know, God's not going to come real quick. It's our, it's our choice. Heavy thing to understand, but it's a beautiful thing to understand. Now, let's go forward. I want you to jump down to verse 17, 1 John three seventeen, because I've got a bunch of scripture. And I only have two hours to speak this morning. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> I'm sorry, verse 18. John says, little children, let us not love merely in theory or in speech, but in deed and in truth and in practice and in sincerity. Now, you really got to catch all this. Remember, these chapters are really one letter. And what you really learn to do as you mature in Christ, you, learn, you need to read, you know, the whole book at a time. And because you begin to catch the fullness of the message as opposed to just pulling one scripture out of context. But now watch this. He says in verse 9, let me read 18 again. Little children, let us not love merely in theory or in speech, but in deed and in truth, in practice and in sincerity. By this, by this, that means what we just said, love. By this we shall come to know and perceive and recognize and understand that we are of the truth and we'll be able to reassure and quiet and conciliate and pacify our hearts in his presence. Now, this is huge because this is, again, he's telling you right here the secret of what it means to know that there's no condemnation, to actually know that you know that you know 
that God's looked way past your transgression to your confession of Christ. But he said, let me read it together because 19 and 20 and even 21 are together. 19 and 20, by this, again referring to verse 18, that this love, by really walking in love, not in just theory, but in practice, by this we shall come to know that we are of the truth. See, you cannot separate love from truth. God is love. God is truth. By this we'll come to know that we are of truth and we'll be able to quiet our hearts in his presence. In other words, that we won't, oh my gosh, but I was like this the other day. Oh my gosh. We'll be able to quiet and pacify our hearts in his presence whenever our hearts, whenever our hearts in tormenting self-accusation try to make us feel guilty and condemn us. In other words, that's one whole sentence. That's why I'm going to read it again. By this we shall come to know and perceive that we are of the truth and we can reassure or quiet our hearts in his presence whenever our hearts are tormenting us uh, with self-accusation, making us feel guilty and condemning us. For we are in God's hands and he is above and greater than our consciences, our hearts, and he knows, perceives, and understands everything. There is nothing that is hid from him. And then the, what happens when you begin to live like that, verse 21 says, and beloved, if our, you know, King James simply says, if your, if your heart condemns you not, then you have confidence towards God. If your heart condemns you not, if your heart condemns you not, you've got confidence towards God. And beloved, if our consciences, our hearts do not accuse us, if they do not make us feel guilty and condemn us, we have confidence complete assurance and boldness before God. And see, this is the critical issue, really, of what happens for every single one of us. Anybody who's lived a dark life before Christ or gone through whatever you've gone through, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, as we say, Satan, one, one old boy said all those many years ago, if there's any good thing you can say about Satan, it's that he's a consistent old cuss. In other words, he's on his job 24 hours a day, whether we are or not. And so his job is consistently, you know, see, like you hear me say, he's a good fisherman. He throws bait out. And if you keep biting at the same bait, why change bait? You know, make you feel guilty about this. I feel short here. I messed up here. I made mistakes here. Oh, my God, what happened here? And this is why, again, probably, you know, the first, it depends on how, what, it depends on what kind of a church you're in, what you're taught. It depends on personal devotion and what you really give yourself to. But the, the thing that has to happen for the first several years of your life is, you, is, is really you, you're continually, today, you're still coming into greater revelation that actually God Almighty, the creator of all, he actually, he does love me. It sounds so simple, that he actually does love me. And John and every writer, they're trying to, tell you something. They're trying to say that the, the revelation of God's love to you, in you, and through you is what changes everything about your life, is what causes everything that God promises, everything else to begin to gel together. It's the key. It's the glue that connects the gifts of the Spirit, that connects everything. And he said, guys, see what God, he wants you to get to the place where your heart never condemns you. Now, you've got to really think what that means. Imagine actually being at a place where you're so free. I mean, you're so absolutely one billion percent free. You're so persuaded of the love that God has for you. 
that when you do mess up, well, first of all, like you've heard me share before, when you have that work at work in your heart, you know, that's what destroys the attraction to sin. Remember what I said, that the more you begin to actually see of Almighty God and to really experience his love and the face of Jesus Christ, I mean, we discover what's called the beauty of his holiness. Well, when you see something that beautiful, it, it's so attractive. You see the supernatural, the revelation of the spirit that only comes by that. When you see how beautiful God is, it breaks the power of attraction to some low-level junk over here. You know, why do I want to use drugs, commit adultery? Or why do I want to do, why would I ever choose that over something like this? And again, as I've said many times, this is why, you know, it's amazing. In God's heart, when he sees, I always, you know, we quote Romans 2, 4. It's the, he said, are you shamefully ignorant of the fact that it is the goodness of God that's intended to draw your hearts and minds to repentance? And you, man, that verse, you know, just nailed me, you know, one of the major verses of my whole life to really, he said, do you really, I mean, Paul, before the whole book of Rome was one of the most important books to study in the, in the book. He said, are you ignorant of the fact it's the goodness of God that's intended to cause you to repent, to change, to be a different person? I mean, see, because what that translates into is God thinks, God actually thinks if we preachers ever slip up and do something right, and actually paint or portray Jesus Christ as, 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 as beautiful as he truly is, if we actually somehow communicate to you how magnificent his glory is, how beautiful his love, how the depth, the length, the height, and the breadth of what he has for you, that if we actually communicate that in God's mind, he thinks that you will want him. Because you want things that are beautiful. You know what I mean? Just think about that, and the, the power of that. This is why, again, the, the book, you know, the pulpit was never made to share your opinion, per se. It's, it's not about preaching your opinion. It's not about beating people over the head. We're supposed to talk about the good news. And again, I don't have the four definitions with me, but I love them, the, the, all four definitions from the, these lexicons about what gospel really means. Euaglion, it's E-U-G-G-E-L-L-I-O-N. This big old word, but it speaks about news that makes one happy, information that causes one joy, blah, blah, blah. I mean, every single bit of it, it says that the gospel is the power of God and salvation. The gospel is the power of God and salvation. But again, the gospel is talking about how good God is. That's the difference. Anybody still here? Oh, well, hallelujah. Praise God. We can go bowling again, I imagine. But, I mean, it to me, to really get to this place where you really can get to the place where your heart doesn't condemn you anymore. See, I know there's people all over this room whose hearts still bring accusation, often. Some not so much as they used to. Bobby and her incredible testimony of her own life before Christ. You know, she's a one billion percent different woman today. Aren't you, Bobby? Because... She's got a greater and greater and greater revelation of just fact she's persuaded. She's actually become somebody that's persuaded that God actually loves her. And this is why, you know, she refers to her past, but she doesn't live in her past. And there's a huge difference between in ministry, you know, it's, it's difficult. Like in my own self, my testimony comes out in bits and bobs. I'm not anointed to give my whole testimony. It's just not 
in my case. But I'm just saying, every single one of us, well, we can get to the place where your heart never brings an accusation. And to me, that's a pretty good goal as well. Because he said, because what does it lead to? Again, verse 21, and beloved, if our consciences, our hearts do not accuse us, if they don't make us feel guilty and condemn us, you know what happens? He said, you find yourself having confidence towards God. And then what's, look at verse 22, and then it says we have boldness before God and with a comma, and we receive from him whatever we ask because we watchfully obey his orders observe his suggestions and injunctions. We follow his plan for us and we habitually practice what is pleasing to him. And again, this is the true conversion of the heart. This is not the, this is not the revelation of the mind. This is not the intellectual understanding that the book says this in Philippians, the book says this in, in First Chronicles. Remember, like we said, over and over and over again, you can have just boatloads of knowledge and never know Christ. And I, I was sharing with the guys, I don't remember, it was last night or where we were, not last night, but yesterday or whatever. You know, there's a recent article, you know, George Barna Group in America does all these incredible studies about the church, what have you. They sent these groups around to all the major American um, uh, universities, the, theology where they teach, on Princeton, Harvard, where they teach these in-depth theology courses, including Cambridge and Oxford. You know that 75% of the professors that teach theology in all the major institutions in America, and Cambridge and Oxford here, 75% of the people who are training and leading, teaching all these people, do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You've got to catch that. You've got people teaching the book without the revelation of Christ. And so, but people just love getting their heads filled with information. So how many times do we have to say it? See, we start out with information, but this is why prayer lives and everything else, everything's connected. Your prayer lives lead to revelation. In other words, where it's revealed from the Spirit, where it's revealed from heaven. Like Peter, when he had the revelation, he said, was finally wound up saying, well, Jesus, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, now you're this rock. He said, and upon this, upon this truth, this revelation, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, this whole thing. He talked about the greatest blessing of man is revelation knowledge. Hallelujah. Anyhow, and revelation comes by applying yourself to the book and to prayer and whatever. But anyhow. So in verse 22, it says, because of this revelation of the love of God producing you a heart, producing in you a heart that doesn't condemn you, he said, you'll get to the place where you, you just simply receive from him what you ever ask because there's something in you now that causes you to watchfully obey what he says. You observe his suggestions, injunction. You learn to follow his plan and you habitually practice what is pleasing to him. Verse 23, and this is his order, his command, his injunction, that we should believe in or put our faith and trust and adhere and rely on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And let me put it from the King James. It simply says this, and this is his commandment, that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the second is this, and that we should love one another just as he commanded us. Amen? So he basically sums up the whole scripture, and he says, this is what we're supposed to do. You believe on the name of Jesus Christ, 
and you walk in love. Amen. That's the book. And like I said, uh, in First John three eleven back there, I uh, just it's in front of me, so I'll just quote it again from last week. You know, people always say, "Well, what is the major message of the book? What is God trying to say?" And it it actually says in First John three eleven, "This is the message." Ta da! Well, <laughs> it says this is the message, the commandment which we've heard from the first. We should love one another. And again, remember John thirteen. Uh, is where Jesus said a new commandment I give and as I shared before the definition of the word commandment means a decree or declaration from which there is no retreat so we don't love because we feel like it if we love God we love because we're told to love this is why like with anything you practice it and God loves you so much he will send people around you that are not lovely so that you can learn. Uh, Mark, Mark Cato, wherever he was, he shared yesterday a little bit. He said he was talking about how working at the London Museum, you know, he said he meets a lot of people that, quite frankly, aren't that easy to deal with and some co-workers and stuff because he's a Christian and they don't like that. And he said, you know, so I pray for God to give me more love. And I always, well, I started to laugh again. Well, I said, you know what happens if you pray for more love? How are you going to get more loving? God's going to put demon-inspired people in front of you. You know, <laughs> you know, it's the old joke about, you know, we pray for patience. Well, how does patience come? From standing up, standing up under trials. Hallelujah. But again, this is the thing. The revelation, this that so struck me all those many, many years ago when I first started really delving into this, is that, you see, this is why the, the walk, to walk in the love of God, Ephesians 5, 1, be ye therefore imitators of God and walk in love, even as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a sweet-smelling sacrifice. And God, way back then, he told me, he said, you know, I, I called you to walk in love. That's why this thing I've always called the love walk. It is one of the most, well, it's the most, well, I'll just say it. It's from my, somebody else will say something else. But really, the love, like it says, the love of God is the foundation of Christianity. Everything, the reason he died for us, for God so loved the world. Everything is about, everything springs from love and springs to love. That's just the way it is. Just the way it is. I said that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Just the love of God. And, and I always ask people, when I teach it again, how many of you believe God is possibly pretty spiritually mature? And this sounds corny, doesn't it? Is God spiritually mature? Well, God is love. So love is possibly the greatest revelation or the greatest release of maturity that the, the, the way you measure Christian spiritual maturity is by how much love how much of the love of God you've allowed to flow in you and you allow to flow through you to meet the needs of the rest of the world you know and again we're going to read it here in a minute but let me just shut up and read so I can get to it uh, he says in verse 23 and this is his order his command his injunction that we should believe in put our faith and trust and adhere to and rely on the name, the name of Jesus is an entire semester in the schools I used to teach it at by itself, and that we should love one another. So you believe on the name of Jesus Christ and we're to learn how to love one another. Verse 24, all who keep his commandments. Well, let me say this one time real quick. It, he keeps saying it's a commandment. And I always remember uh, Clinton, uh, Clinton being here because, again, when he, the stuff that you shared with me about working with Jack King over there, who was in he Clinton is from South Africa and uh, 
he's been mentored by a guy named Jack King, and it was Jack King and myself and another guy who were like the first three guys under Dr. Cole who really did all that stuff. But anyhow, something Doc would always teach, he'd, he'd say that, you know, Paul was talking to, Kim, to Timothy, and he said in Scripture, he says, Timothy, command and teach these things. And uh, Doc used to say, we, the reason churches don't really mature like they need to is because we make suggestions, we don't give commandments. And Paul said, you see, we're actually, we're said, we're told to command people to repent. But we're afraid of offending people. So we say, you know, you know, I really think, Emmanuel, that you should kind of change this about your life. I mean, you know, and you see, God only anoints his word. So if Rod doesn't have the strength to command somebody to stop, then God can't anoint it enough to help them break it. But a lot of people won't go to church where somebody's bold enough to say, I command you to repent of this. But the scripture actually says, command them. Command and teach. So, Bobby, <laughs> I'll just stop right there. No, but it's, it's a serious thing. We're commanded to love. It has nothing to do with your feelings. You can't wear your feelings on your shirt cuff and get your feelings hurt every three seconds. You know, flipping grow up. You know, really, seriously, you do have to grow up. You do have to grow up. So many people live, and we, you know, this is a whole study, you know, psychology. I mean, so many people are, just live in a situation where they're trying to draw attention to themselves. And churches, churches are full of people who have this problem, that problem, this problem, but really they're attention seekers. And it's very difficult to really help somebody get free when they live from the platform of, I just need attention. You have to get them to the point where they recognize, listen, you know, none of us can wave some wand over you. You have to want to be free. You know what I mean? Anyhow. All who keep his commandments and obey his orders and follow his plan live and continue to live. I love this. To stay and abide in him and he in them. Listen to this. They let Christ be a home to them. And they are the home of Christ. Would that not be, a, not be a pretty good testimony to say? I am the home of Christ. It'd be funny to look at somebody else and share with them. That, and they say, where is God? Well, he makes his home in me. He makes his home in me. And by this we know and understand and have the proof that he really lives and makes his home in us because of the Holy Spirit who he's given to us. You begin to really have, begin the, the understanding it's because of the Holy Ghost, because of Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost. It is God's Spirit, you know. And, anyhow. But then we're going to start right at verse 1 of chapter 4 real quick. Let's see how far I can go here for a minute. And uh, this, to me, this, this next passage of Scripture, it's all, like I said, First John is a book, that, if you really want to understand the love of God, First John is a book that you, have, you need to, like I often say, you need to meditate until your meditator breaks. Then you need to go to Marks and Spencer's and get a couple of new meditators and just keep on at it. But really try to listen to this with me. Now, first of all, let me share again, when I first started teaching the Love Walk all those many years ago, what God had me, what God said to me in prayer, he said, I want you to take 
every single verse, I want you to read the entire New Testament, every place you see any reference or, you know, synonym for my name, whether it be, you know, God, Spirit, whatever, Jesus. He said, I want you to read the whole New Testament, and in every single verse, I want you to put the word love there for my name, whatever, they're, whatever I'm called, whatever my son's called. And, you know, and it, it really did something to me. And I took like four months or something to really dig into that. And, you know, like in him, and I began to think, well, him is love. So I would say in love, I have my, you know, we live and move and have our being. And so the whole book. So just that's a little shortcut to say verse one of chapter four. And this is heavy stuff because this is talking about the Antichrist here in just a minute. Beloved, do not put faith in every spirit. And again, I have to reference the fact, remember, that the spirit realm, the spirit realm is the real realm. It is the parent realm. That realm created this realm. I always say we are the cartoon. That is the place of reality. And I always say this, when you, when you, study, when you study the gift of the Spirit, and you, I was blessed to teach, you know, if the true gift of discerning of spirits took place, if we right now, right now, right now could like unzip the air over our head and pull it back, you would see a place that is teeming with hundreds and thousands of spirits. A spirit, they're, they're right here. Because that's the real realm. That's the, where everything's real. And again, this is why we have to begin to walk in the spirit. Because if we don't, this reality just simply is more real to us than that reality. But again, what I had to learn is, God said, if you could see this reality and compare it to that reality, this reality would become no reality because of that reality. In other words, when you actually see what actually, what is, in other words, spirit has more substance than this. But see, this is what we live in. He created us to live in this. Remember, this is all a pattern. Remember, this is all a pattern. This isn't eternity. Eternity's there. And eternity's going to overcome this. But this stuff you have to practice. You have to practice your faith about it. Beloved, don't put faith in every spirit, but prove or test the spirits to discover whether they proceed from God. Amen? But again, right there, all those years ago, every time I see you see my name, put the word love. So I read it like this. Beloved, do not put faith in every spirit, but prove, test the spirits to discover whether they proceed from love. Because God is love. Any voice of God is going to magnify heaven. Any spirit that's really of God is going to lift, edify, exhort, and comfort today. Never will condemn. Now let me go. Beloved, do not put faith in every spirit, but prove and test the spirits. We're told to test the spirit. Listen, the only way you can test something is to know something that's legitimate. The only way you can tell if something is illegitimate is if you have something legitimate. Do you hear me? 
You don't, if you've got raw ore, if it's full of whatever, there's a great difference between pure gold and fool's gold. They look alike, but there's no value in one. <clears throat> don't put faith in every spirit, <clears throat> but prove, test the spirits to discover whether they, whether they proceed from God or from love. <clears throat> Excuse me. For many false prophets have gone forth into the world. Verse 2, by this, I would like it when I see this because I want to see what this is. But this you may know and perceive and recognize the spirit of God or the spirit of love. Every spirit, every spirit that acknowledges, confesses the fact that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has become, has become man and has come in the flesh is of God, has God for its source. And again, I just read it. Every spirit that confesses the fact that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, actually has become man and has come in the flesh is of love and has love for its source. Um, every spirit, verse 2 says every spirit, verse 3 says every spirit which does not acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now listen to these four words. This is really a good translation uh, from Lou and Nita's lexicon of what this word means in the, in the King James. And every spirit which does not acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, but would, if you don't have an app, look at the screen. Every spirit, every spirit, listen to me, every spirit which would annul, destroy, sever, or disunite him. Well, who's him? God, love, the church. But listen, every spirit which would annul, destroy, sever, disunite him is not of God. It, this doesn't proceed from God. <clears throat> this non-confession, but it says in the King James, this is, this is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you heard that it was coming but guys, it is now already in the world. So it shouldn't be a shock to us. But listen to that. See, I was taught all those many years ago by some wonderful, from, you know, for real prophets, some real men of God, I was incredibly blessed. And one of the things I learned is that every time you speak, a spirit speaks. That was the first time I heard that, I went, what? Every time you speak, a spirit speaks. Either God's spirit, your human spirit, or a demon spirit. Every time you speak. And so when I read this all those years ago, every spirit that would annul, destroy, sever, or disunite Christ is the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit, it means the life of a thing. So the life, whatever, quote unquote, the life of the Antichrist spirit is. What it comes to do is just this. It comes to, what did I say? It comes to annul, destroy, sever, disunite him. And so uh, I heard this. He said, when you speak, he said, if you speak against that church down the street, if you speak against that church down the street, if you speak against that church down the street or that ministry over there, if you don't understand, I've called you to bless and not curse. If you speak against that, he said, do you realize that's not my spirit? 
That's not the spirit of love. Test that. Test that, Rod. Is that coming from my heart, which is nothing but love, which is just, you know, just overflows with the desire to see people free and blessed? Test that. He said, that's not my spirit. If you're speaking against that church or that ministry, he said, that's not my spirit. He said, you know what spirit that is? <laughs> and he like quoted this to me. Any spirit that would annul, that would destroy, sever, disunite, is the spirit of Antichrist. And suddenly I just heard it and felt it at the same time. He said, Do you really want <clears throat> do you really want that spirit in your mouth? Seriously, I just went, I shuddered, I'm, you know, and, I, and it, it struck me. Have I been perfect about it ever since? No, but this is why I keep going back and I keep going back and I keep going back and I keep going back because this is the root and the foundation of what we're supposed to be about. So we're to look at it from every conceivable angle. But I just hope you can hear this. Study it for yourself, like Acts 17 says. Be like those in Berea, that they're more noble than those that were in Thessalonica. And you search these scriptures daily, whether these things are so. Don't believe what I say. Search the book and see if it's true, what the foundation of Christianity is. But think about that. The spirit of Antichrist, which is already here. Antichrist. There's a whole other wonderful teaching there. Can I just throw this out real quick as a tidbit? You notice it's not the spirit of anti-Jesus? Satan doesn't care about churches that only talk about the man, Jesus, and the history of the man. But the word Christ speaks of the anointed one. What he's afraid of is when you start speaking about the anointing. The spirit of anti-Christ is the spirit of anti-the anointing that Christ carried and the anointing that breaks every yoke. I'll just leave that there because that's an incredible thing. Every spirit. So you're to test the spirit. What spirit? Is it your spirit speaking? Is it God's spirit speaking? Or do we sometimes, we don't mean to, none of us would choose to intentionally, but to think that I sometimes, if it's producing strife, if it's producing division. It's not from God. Do you hear me? That ain't God speaking, my brother and my sister. It's the spirit of Antichrist that tries to attach itself and speak through us. I'm just saying, so be careful. This is why you've got to read this stuff. Verse 4, little children. And then he jumps to this. He's trying to say, don't you understand? Little children, you are of God. In other words, wake up to this. Little children, you are of God. And I love this. And he says, this is what you have to catch, guys. You belong to him. You've already, praise God, you have already defeated and overcome them, the agents of the Antichrist, because you know what? Because of who lives in you now, because of who lives in you now, because of who lives in you now, he's greater and mightier than he who lives in the world. Great, you know, these verses that we just tallied around for years in our Christian experience, but we've got no more knowledge of a hog, man, than what's really saying. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in you. The one in you has already overcome any evil spirit. 
see, this is why, oh God, let's talk about, start teaching about devils and stuff. You've already, the one in you has already overcome. It's impossible. It's impossible. It is absolutely insanity to try to measure or to compare the power of Satan to the power of Almighty God. And, you know, we've, but we've somehow, sadly, somehow, so many of us, we've preached so much about the power of what Satan can do that sometimes we think this is an even fight. It ain't no even fight. It isn't an even fight. It just isn't. It's like if a manual's called to fight his daughter Eve. <laughs> of course he wouldn't, but I'm trying to say there's, there's, I wonder who will win. I don't know. Well, Eve's kind of strong. She dances every morning on Sunday. And she's got a great attitude and she's, and she's just, she's lovely and she's innocent and everything. I don't know. She might be able to beat up Emmanuel. Now, I know it's silly, but little children, you're of God. Wake up. You, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, as you are actually of God. You've been surnamed son of God. It's Emmanuel of God. It's Julie of God. Of course, my favorite is the rod of God. Yes, hallelujah. Little children, you are, you are of God. You belong to him. You've already defeated and overcome them, these agents of the Antichrist. But see, you've got to know that. So when they come to you, you don't give heed to them. You say, no, I'm not going to let you in my mouth. I'm not going to let you in my mouth. I'm just simply not. I choose life. Verse 5, they proceed from the world, these other spirits. They proceed from the world and are of the world, therefore is out of the world its whole economy, morally considered, that they speak. And the world listens and pays attention to them. Verse 6, but we, again, you've got to see the repetition, why he's trying to really assert himself. But we are children of God. But see, we're children of love. We are children of God. Whoever is learning to know God, my friends, progressively to perceive and recognize and understand God by observation and experience and to get an ever clearer knowledge of him. What a bold thing is about to say. Anybody that really wants that is going to need to listen to us. And he who is not of God does not listen or pay attention to us. By this we know and we begin to recognize the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There is a spirit of error. And remember the basics of understanding of how demons work are that they are disembodied spirits that carry, they carry a, a level of authoritative influence the way you, you'll be taught in a good Bible school. They carry an influence and they seek someone to attach their influence to because it has to come for it to be birthed in the earth a human being has to speak it. A human being has to act it out. So they try to find a willing host, like a bacteria. And he said by this, but again, when you put every word, every time it says God or him, you put the word love there. And he who is not of love, he who is not of love does not listen or pay attention to us. By this, 
we've come to know and recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Verse 7, and here's those old verses like you laughed at me, I know, when I started to sing the old song, Beloved, let us love one another, love one another. But here it is. You see, somehow, somehow we, gotta, we actually, again, need to read it, not just skim it. What he's trying to communicate, he's, again, he said, you're of God. Don't you understand now? You're of God. You're, you're, you're now children of God. First John 1, you, you know, you're forgiven. When you confess your sins unto God, they're gone. You're forgiven. You're of God. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is, love springs from God. And he who loves his fellow men is begotten and born of love. And is coming progressively to know and understand love, God. To perceive, recognize, and get a better and clearer knowledge of him. Now, what do you do with the next one? He, how many of you know, again, I always say this jokingly, I didn't write the Bible. How many agree that possibly I did not write the Bible? Some of you actually thought I write it. There's all kinds of people going, maybe he did. (laughs) Heavy, we need to really pray. He who does not love. Say that with me. He who does not love. Let's say the next few words. Has not become acquainted with God. So let's just, is it, it's up there, right? So let's just read the whole verse together slowly. He who does not love has not become acquainted with God, does not, and never did know him, for God is love. If you don't know love, you've never known God. Full stop. So don't quote this and quote that and tell me how spiritual you are. If every time I see you, you're irritated by this, you're in unforgiveness about that, and you just choose to walk in darkness because, you know, it breaks your heart when you're a minister and you try to work for people and you look them straight in the eyes and you try to help them to say, you don't, don't go this way. It's not of God. It's not of love. This is how you recognize the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Spirits speak. So when you counsel somebody, you listen to them speak, and you're actually listening to the spirit they're listening to. The one that they've take, they've expressed faith in. Did you hear me? I always refer to this one person, Julie, and I've known for so many years who was, she was indeed legitimately abused a lot, you know, when she was a young girl <clears throat> by a father, by uncle, by brother-in-law, whatever. And, you know, like to this day, she carries this, that's, that's where she drives her identity from 45 years later. 45 years, she's lived from the place of abuse. And when you try to sit in front of her and say, sweetie, listen, that's dead and gone. Why do you keep giving it life? But the, th- the funny thing is, when you understand a little bit about even human psychology, like I said, is sadly, when people have had a really traumatic experience in their life, in a perverted sense, they derive value from it. It's become the thing that is their identity, and it's the thing that they talk to people about over and over again, and they don't, re- they don't mean, they don't even see, they, they're, they don't know what they're doing. 
But what they're doing is they're trying to just draw more attention to this. But see, this is where at some point you, I, everybody, if faith is a big, it is a leap. You, you, have, you come to the place where you're going to need to make a decision to believe what God has done. Because again, the statement that you hear over and over again is you don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand how it feels. And when they say that to me, I say, well, I have to say this to you. You don't understand what Christ did for you. It just comes down and boils down to that. At the bottom, at the deepest level, it comes down to that. If we really understood this, he who does not love has not become acquainted with God. Don't worry, I'm just about to finish. So praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He who does not love has not, you won't have me for three weeks, so rejoice. He who does not love has not become acquainted with God, does not and, and, and never did know him for God's love. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest and displayed where we're concerned in that God sent his son. You know, love sent love. God sent his son, the only begotten or unique son, into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10. Now listen to this one. In this is love. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Now you've got to stop there because of this. Deep revelation, my friends, that you, if you're going to walk in the love of God, you have to catch And this is love. Not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us. God loves, God loved first. Do you hear me? Knowing every stupid, silly thing about you, every sin you've ever committed. Boom, here comes, God loves first. This is why, again, you can't live by this, well, if somebody's nice to me, I'll be nice to them. If you're going to walk like God, God walks, you learn, you start learning to be the first to love. Whether they love me back is not the issue. Because I'm not responsible for their action, but I am responsible for mine. And whether or not I will obey what God has spoken to me. Whether anybody else walks in love or not is not the issue. Rod believes that he's supposed to walk in love. Like I tell people all the time, when you first start to get a hold of this, you know, and you're in a situation where somebody has really wronged you, but they think that you're at fault. But you begin to catch this, you know, again in the scriptures, much as it, verse Romans 10, Romans 12 rather, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. In other words, as much as it depends upon you, you can't, you can't, you're not responsible for how somebody else responds, acts or whatever. But as much as it depends upon you, so you muster up with, okay, well, rather than there be strife, I'm going to do everything I can to live at peace. I, even though I'm not guilty, maybe guilty all the other times, bless God, this time I'm not guilty. So I go to them and I say, because I want to kill the strife and at least do my part. So I go to them and say, listen, I really, I need you to forgive me. I'm so sorry for this argument and my part in it. And you're trying to do God's thing. And then they respond like this. Well, it's about time you forgive me. Uh, you, yes, you ask for forgiveness. You know, and you're there, it's about time. You know, you finally understood how wrong you were. 
and like this, and you, and you sit there, and when you first start doing this stuff, because trust me, when you really make a decision to walk like this, that stuff happens. It feels like, like my old teacher told me all those years ago, sometimes loving with the God kind of love is like taking like a pound of flesh and ripping it off your body. It's not comfortable. <laughs> because you look right at them and you want to love them, and they just... And furthermore, <laughs> listen, casting out devils is easier. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, that he first loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, again, what, what do you do with If God loved us so very much, we also ought to love one another. But then this next verse is one that nearly used to hit me. I just got, let me see. Oh gosh, I'll just try to. No man, the Bible says, I know a lot of people say otherwise. The Bible says no man has at any time yet seen God. But listen to what this apostle says. Again, don't let it be a light thing. Let it be as huge as it is. No man has at any time yet seen God. But, but, however, if we love one another, what's it say happens? God abides and lives and remains in us. And his love, his love, that love which is essentially his, is brought to completion to its full maturity and runs its full course, is perfected in us. Now, the translation of that is this. No man hath at any time seen God. But if we love one another, God will be seen through us. The only way the world is going to see God is when they see him through you and I. Loving like he loves. Hallelujah. And like I said, trust me, that's no easy task. But this is why it's the foundation. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care how many theologians say otherwise. The book says it's the foundation. It's what you have to be rooted deep in, founded securely upon. By this, verse 13, again, we come to know. How many, do you see how many times he says, by this we come to know, by this we come to know? I'm sorry I'm taking so long. I didn't mean to. We had a lot this morning. By this we come to know, perceive, recognize, and understand that we abide, we live, and remain in him and he in us because he has given and imparted to us of his Holy Spirit. Again, read all those words with love. This is how we know and understand that we abide and live in in love and love in us because love has, has imparted to us love's spirit. Verse 14, and besides, we ourselves have seen have deliberately and steadfastly contemplated and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Anyone who confesses and acknowledges and owns that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides, lives, he makes his home in him. And he abides and lives and makes his home in God. And we know and understand, we recognize, we're conscious of by observation and by experience, and we believe and we put faith in and we rely on the love of God. The love that God cherishes. Think about it. Love cherishes. Cherish is kind of like love in it. But 
we know that the love God cherishes for us, we know that God is love, and he who dwells and continues in love dwells and continues in God, and God dwells and continues in him. It's just, what is, what is John trying to do? I mean, listen to these words over and over again, the repetition, the circular motion of it. You know, when you love, it's God living in you, and it's you living in him. And, and you have to believe, and the King James, that verse says, in this, we have, in this we have believed the love that God has for us. And for a long time, God taught me on that. He, says, he said, it's one thing to talk about it, but you have to believe the love. You actually have to release faith. You have to believe the love that God has for you. And this is why we all have. You actually have to believe God loves you. That's the decision. And once the decision is made, the revelation begins to flow. You have to believe it. Anyhow, verse 17, in this union and communion with him, love is brought to completion and attains perfection with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face him because as he is, so are we in this world. Guys, there's no fear in love. Dread doesn't even exist, but full-grown, complete, perfect fear, but full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors, expels every trace of terror, for fear brings with it the thought of punishment. Again, boy, this is a, maybe I'll teach some more on the fear issue when we get back. But fear brings with it the thought of punishment. See, if you have the thought of punishment still in your heart, then you've not really met the God we're trying to communicate because there's no longer any punishment coming from God. The devil just creates a doctrine so that you fear something that isn't true. There is no fear in love. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment, and so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of what? Love. Is not yet grown into love's complete perfection. We love him because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother in Christ, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this command and charge and order we have from him that he who loves God shall love his brother believer also. Amen. Everybody say, praise God, that's over. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 